White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 601. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Alright, we are back. It is another week, another two weeks, and time again for the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-partner here, Andy Fix. Andy, we had a little lag tonight, but how are you doing over there? I think I'm doing pretty good, Van. I think we I think we got it sorted out. How are you doing? Yeah, it's a lot better than it was. We had like a 14-second lag there for a while, but now it got down to about two seconds. I think we can go forward with that. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, uh, I had a book fair today, so I've been off at a library all day uh, selling books, did pretty well there, and now I'm ready to talk some Babylon 5. How about you? What's up with you? Uh, you know what? I'm enjoying the the crap out of the Book of Boba Fett. So that's been uh, oh, that's been the talk goodness. around here for the past two or three weeks. Uh, my wife and I are both loving it. I'm so glad to hear it because all I see on social media lately is people say uh, crapping on it, and that just makes me sad because I'm it's something I've waited my entire life almost for, and I'm loving it. So people gonna hate. That's just how it is. But we don't have to. If if I didn't have to see it all the time on my Facebook and Twitter, it would be a little bit better, but it just seems like all I see. So I'm glad to know that right. you and I are both enjoying it a great deal. That makes me happy. That, that makes me happy. It, it, it is a topic worthy of its own podcast. So Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We're going to do it for sure very soon. I'm thinking we're going to do like a, a half season uh, in a week or so or two, and then uh, kind of a season wrap up. That way we'll kind of cover what it's been like up to this point and then, um, you know, what... Uh, how it kind of what we felt about how it how it wrapped up so um let me see meanwhile tonight we've got two very interesting um this is our this is what you would say is the penultimate season two episode for us because we have 19 and 20 and then uh next week two weeks from now we'll have 21 and 22 to wrap it up so um before we get into those though really quickly I saw yesterday, I think this had actually been posted a couple of days ago, but Joe Straczynski actually said that WB has approved his pilot script for the reboot of Babylon 5. There will be no more revisions of the pilot script, and they like it a great deal. So he expects a go, no-go by the end of this month. Yeah. Now, there there's a caveat there. Uh, yeah. The CW is rumored to be up for sale, which may, depending on who they sell it to and what the new group thinks. I mean, a, a lot of the shows that are on the, on the, um, in, mm. in the pipes, you know, may not get produced. So we'll, we'll see how, how that all shakes out too. Yeah, that's true. I'm trying not to think about it, but you're right. It's very, it's kind of similar to what happened at Disney when they were making John Carter 
and the other properties based on older and the other yeah the other shows based on older properties like the Lone Ranger and some of that and then they got a new leadership in that wanted to just buy Star Wars and buy Marvel and that was smart certainly history has shown but it was pretty much the the death knell for getting any kind of excitement about the John Carter movie and you notice we haven't had any more of those um, older property movies that Disney was trying to make about 10 years ago. So I hope that this doesn't go right. that route. Uh, it would be very sad. So, well, we'll see. Um, let's go ahead then. Do you have any announcements before you, we want to get going here? I do not. Other than to say happy belated birthday to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess it was Wednesday uh, or yeah, Wednesday, the 12th. Yeah. It was very exciting. Yeah. Had a good birthday. Got some cool stuff and, um, Good old post office hasn't delivered all my presents apparently yet, so I'm going to extend this birthday over a few more days. That's actually kind of cool in a way, so I'm not I'm not complaining. Um, let me see, uh, and as I always say, it beats the alternative. Um, all right. Well, we've got two interesting ones. Let's dive into. We got two nineteen divided loyalties and two twenty the long twilight struggle. I did notice this is another case where HBO has shuffled them around a little bit, which annoys me no end. Because we go by what the Lurker's Guide lays it out as the as the original broadcast order, and HBO keeps messing around with that. So um, I, you know, whatever. But we're going to stick with our order, I think, and uh, and hopefully folks are, are, are aware of that because we've talked about it on previous episodes. So, um, right. as, as I always say, like the kickoff of the football game, would you like to do the summary for this one or defer to the second half? Uh, I can do the summary for this one. All right, let's hear it. Um, and this one, I think that. There really is only the the a plot. Yeah, I think so. Um, Lita Alexander, the former um, uh, uh, Psychor. She, I don't think she was Psychor when she was she Psychor. I I think she was there. I think they're. Uh, I think they're both commercial telepaths. Right. Yeah, she wasn't a psychop. Anyway, the 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 resident psychic for the first for the pilot episode was mm. Lita Alexander. She returns with dire warnings for the Babylon 5 leadership team about a possible traitor in their midst. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. And nobody, I don't think, had guessed who it was going to be at this point. It was quite the shock to me, certainly, in 1995. I guess as far as it goes, I think all telepaths, except for the ones like Susan, who are hidden, are sort of regulated by Psychor. And then, like you said, there are the Psychops. Neither one of them were ever Psychops. But they are under the auspices, kind of, you know what I mean, of of Psychor. So you, right. can't, you can't get away from it. It's it's just this evil bureaucratic organization that tries to control them. So uh, and and exploit them. I think is a, is another way to say it. So um, do, how surprised were you to get the big reveal the first time you saw this? I'm just curious. I was super surprised because I remember watching this the first time back in the 90s mm -hmm. and the way that the episode was written and Susan Ivanova's background with, you know, the, the issues with the psychor and all that stuff. I thought for sure and, and much to my chagrin or to, much to my horror, I thought for sure that they were going to have Susan be the traitor. Mm -hmm. um, just the way that, that the, the episode was playing out and all that, I was certain of it. Yeah. And uh, so I was com completely shocked uh, the first time around when I saw this, and it turned out to be um, uh, the, the the actual psychic that was on board, Talia. Yeah, Talia Winters. My, so you know, I, I mean, I was my, happy. I was ha I was happy that it wasn't Susan, but I was also sad that it was Talia because I kind of liked her. 
Uh, yeah, otherwise known as my favorite character. So yeah, I'm, I was not happy about this episode. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Um, but so, I, yeah. you know, it, and we've talked about this before as well. It was heavily implied in this episode and hinted at that Kosh had a recording of of Talia's personality, um, and I'm sure that it was a plan down the road to bring her back. I think it was a plan to bring her back if that happened. In other words, if she wanted to come back and JMS wanted her back. Um, but from everything, and I've got so many notes that I'm not going to go into, but I've read a lot of notes about this episode. And it seems like Andrea wanted to leave and wasn't happy with her role, wasn't happy with how often she was being used, et cetera, et cetera. And so she basically pushed the ejector button and JMS was like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to, you know, go ahead and just eject you. That's fine. Bring back uh, Lita. But, um, yeah, I think he did keep that just as a possible way of bringing her back if that should ever happen. You don't want to foreclose it entirely. But right. I don't think he ever had any intention of using it under normal circumstances. And, of course, that's like if... Let's say that Pat T- Patricia Tallman had had to leave, or you know, God forbid, it got hit by a bus or something. Then he would really have had to go back to Talia, because where else would you go? Right. You, know, you, you can start over with a third one. You know, it just kind of gets ridiculous at that point. So, it would have been neat though. I, I I can't imagine this happening. But in the reboot, I sure wish they could keep Talia all the way through. But they'll probably keep Lita all the way through if they keep the same actress. You know. So, oh well. Um, this was. Production number 220, even though it's 219, originally aired uh, in July in Britain, but October 11th in the U.S., so they got it way before we did. And I know there were some people that were downloading the British satellite feed and seeing it early, and I hated those people because I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> it, it was written by JMS, directed by Jesus Trevino, another one of our pantheon of Mount Rushmore of Babylon 5 directors. Good old Jesus. And the main notable guest star I have is just Patricia Tallman returns as a guest star as Lita Alexander, but I don't think it's any uh, I don't think it's any spoiler to say that she'll transition from notable guest star to to regular cast, you know, sooner or later since she's back. Um, let's see. I have some. I have tons of notes, but I only have a few of them I really want to go into and spend any amount of time on. What kind of factoids or notes do you have for this one? Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the only one that I have, was, well, I actually have to. First of all, the newspaper is back. I thought yes. that was fun. <laughs> and they showed him re- recycling the newspaper and, and all that. That I thought that was – and they are personalized newspapers too. So they will print mm-hmm. out exactly what you're looking for. They're not the same for everybody. Uh, that was kind of cool. Too bad we can't you know, come up with something like that today with a news feed personalized to each person. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I have is uh, there was a. Did I see correctly that the uh, the gentleman on Mars that was that was helping the the injured guy was a ranger? Yes. Okay. Definitely. I thought that was that was interesting that that we saw a ranger working on Mars. Yes, that was interesting. That's a good good catch. Yes, I remember that now. Um, about the newspaper, the one the one annoyance I had with it was that that special section Delenn got was called Eye on Minbari. And I'm like, okay, it should either be called Eye on the Minbari or Eye on Minbar, but not Eye on Minbari. That doesn't make any sense. That right. Just, that's like saying Eye on Human. 
It's either I on the <laughs> humans or a human, but not human. So it just was weird. So anyway, um, all right. I got a couple of things I do want to get into. Um, I and some of it's kind of confusing. I want to make sure I understand it in my mind. In my own mind. Um, so I asked this question. I said, "How did Talia know that Lita was on the station?" Susan asked her about Lita, but didn't say that she was there or why she was asking. And then later on, um, Talia essentially tries to kill her. So how does Talia find out Lita's there so that she can try to assassinate her? That's a good question. It it was never really addressed. Okay. Um, Another one. um, There's a lot of stuff from JMS where people are asking, would this have been Laurel Takashima from the pilot? And yes, um, JMS says that basically if Laurel Takashima had still been on the show and if Talia Winters, um, Andrea wasn't planning to leave, the big reveal would have gone the exact opposite direction. Talia would have been revealed. Talia would have revealed Takashima as the traitor. So they just kind of flipped it around the other way with the way the actors were coming and going. Uh, Laurel would have been control. That's the remember the name they called they kept calling it control from back in Chrysalis and maybe Spider in the Web. Yep. And um and uh oh this is interesting too. There was a possibility that if if Tamlin Tamita had stayed on as as Laurel Takashima, uh there wouldn't have been a Lieutenant Corwin on the on the command center. It would have been Ivanova as Lieutenant Corwin. And Ivanova would have gotten promoted up after uh, Tamlin Tamita, Takashima, got revealed as control and left the show. Well, that is interesting. I wonder if they would have had the same actress. Yeah. uh, Can you imagine Claudia Christian as like just standing there occasionally saying, jump gate activated? I mean, it just seems like a waste, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I I couldn't imagine that. I I can't imagine that the actress would would have gone for that. Yeah. I also think this episode would have hit harder. You and I have touched on this before. I think this episode would have hit harder if they'd actually used Talia more than like twice this entire season. But she was almost a guest star on her own show. And so when it turns out that she's the traitor, you're like, oh, her. I forgot about her. I'm sure right. some people were, you know. I wasn't. Yeah. I was like, where's Talia? Where's Talia? I, she, she's only been in a handful of episodes. Mm. And one or two of those episodes, it was just for like a line or two. So, mm. yeah, it, she was... Underused. I can see why the, the actress wasn't too happy. Oh, sure, yeah. And I believe she actually went on to be like a news anchor. I think she, I'm not, I feel like she was on CNN for half a second, but I know that she ended up in like Phoenix as like a big news anchor in Phoenix for a while. She so, was on, she was on NYPD Blue for a few seasons oh, that's um, right. as, a re, as a recurring character. Then, yes, she did go to CNN for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. She was on CNN. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she kind of, did some other things and good. I hope that she enjoyed that better. Like I said, I met her at Dragon Con. I remember. I don't know if you remember this. Since this is the last time we'll probably talk about Talia, uh, that was the one where she was there, kind of by herself. She didn't have a helper or anything. She was just sitting there at a table in the in the you know the big autograph hall. And so my girlfriend and I went over to her, and we were just chatting with her. And she's like, "Well, I guess I should have brought." She said, "I haven't really done this before. I guess I should have brought something to sign autographs on." I didn't really think about it. So I said, hold on. And I ran all the way out to the car where it was parked a mile away in downtown Atlanta, dug into my Babylon 5 cards and pulled out every Talia Winters Babylon 5 card game card I had and brought them back in and gave them to her. And she was so excited that she signed one for me for free. So that was very sweet of her. She was really nice. She was really nice. I love that story. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah, she was really cool. 
Um, yeah, there's very few Babylon Five people at this point that, that I didn't meet. I don't. I guess uh, I can't honestly think of any right now I haven't met. That's really strange, huh? Yeah, I think I've met pretty much all of them. Um, let's see. Oh, there's just the question, like, how did Jason Ironheart miss the sleeper personality? It must have been buried pretty deep. And, of course, now Psycor has Talia, which means they have somebody that can use that telekinesis to kill people. So, you know, it's a good thing the actress left the show because the Psycor would have had a really deadly weapon if, if, if she had stayed on and popped up as a villain, you know. Even right. worse, that, than, worse than Bester. That, that begs the question, would the sleeper personality have access to that ability, or was that mm-hmm. a Talia personality ability only? Good question. There you go. It's good stuff. Um, um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else. There's a whole lot. I'll just put it this way, because there's a ton of stuff. If you really want to know, you really want to dig down deep into it, JMS has tons of quotes and answered a bunch of questions. Uh, about this episode on the Lurker's Guide. So go to the Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5 and click on Divided Loyalties, and you can spend like an hour reading all the conversations he had on the Internet back in 1995. Um, So it was really interesting. Um, But I'm not going to go into any more of it because I don't want this just to be Lurker's Guide, the podcast. (laughs) I want to... uh, I I do have a question. Yeah. When they were... Uh, interviewing all the, I mean, like pretty much every staff member on board Babylon Five to try to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uncover the 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 plant. Um, they never asked Keffer. That's true. Yeah. Well, we never saw it. Right. Right. I just thought. I mean, if, if he's in the opening credits, you'd figure he'd at least get a line in this particular show. I, I have more to say about the 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 scanning. We'll get to that in just a minute. I have more to say. All right. Um, oh, last last note. Somebody asked JMS what was the password that ta- that Lita was beaming into people's heads, and JMS <laughs> JMS said, "I'm hideously tempted to say it was Zahadum." <laughs> interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it certainly wasn't Free Mars. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, let's get into the categories. What was your high point of this episode? My high point was it 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 was the relationship that suddenly developed between Talia and um, Nivanova. Now, yeah. obviously, it wasn't That's sudden to really. the characters. It was just, they just dumped it on us all of a sudden, like, hey, by the way, they're in some sort of pseudo-romantic relationship. And I, I, I understood this in the 90s as being their attempt to, you know, portray them as being in a romantic relationship. And JMS mm-hmm. has since confirmed it, that yes, mm-hmm. they were in a, in a romantic relationship. But I, I thought it was pretty cool back then because you know that's not something that you even you ever saw on TV mm-hmm. back then, um, and I, I thought it was it was cool today too. I thought it was pretty neat to see that that they were you know presenting something as progressive as that. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, no, I agree, I, and I agree that it was interesting how I, I think that we've we've probably over the course of the first and second seasons we probably had about what five or six scenes, and I may be overstating that where they went from outright hostility, mostly on Susan's part, to gradually warming up to each other. And even at the beginning of this episode, they were still kind of tap dancing around each other a little bit, but you could tell that they'd really thought out. You know, there wasn't any more Cold War between them. They'd really kind of thought out. So it kind of was even more surprising when suddenly, you know, she invites her over and then wakes up in the middle of the night and reaches for her and everything. I'm like, wow, because that that escalated quickly, as they say. Right. <laughs> Right. So, 
Um, my high point was that after a year and a half, well, no, we're in season two. So after yeah, after three quarters of a year of of Sheridan being very official with Delenn, really up until the Markab episode, um, it seemed like Sheridan is genuinely glad to have Delenn around just to talk to. I mean, I guess he talks to Susan because you know I thought this was this this made me think about relationships real quick. I thought it was interesting that in the in the in the Sinclair era, Sinclair's the, the the person on the station that was closest to Sinclair was Garibaldi. Right. The person on the station that that Sheridan is closest to, I think, is Susan. Right. Because Sinclair had a pre-existing relationship with Garibaldi before Babylon Five, and Sin- and Sheridan had a pre-existing relationship going back to the the moon of Jupiter that shall not be named. So, <laughs> so tomato, tomato. So um, I think it's interesting that. Sheridan really talks to Susan, but even then they have kind of a subordinate, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm your commanding officer. They can't, they're about as frank with each other as like Kirk and Spock, but in the old days, you know, but they're not, they don't like hang out together and and share their deepest feelings with each other, really, unless it's in a crisis. So I think Sheridan seems really taken with just hanging out with Delenn and talking to her. I I agree. And it's interesting to contrast the development of the relationship with Sheridan and Delenn to the the development of the relationship between Talia and Ivanova. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't see that coming in either case at this point, and yet you're like, huh, okay, interesting. Yeah, they right. they, they 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 went with the slow burn for the relationship with uh, Delenn and Sheridan for sure. Yeah, oh yeah, and we've got a ways to go as that continues to percolate along. Um, what was your low point? Uh, low point. I went with the the emotional low point. Um, mm-hmm. It was Talia's downfall in that that final farewell in Ivanova's quarters. Oh, that was absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, I I, I just I, I couldn't even imagine being in Ivanova's shoes at that point. You know, it was yes. and the look on her face said it all. Oh, I mean, it was it was absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely. Um, but that that scene hit me on another level too, though, which was. For some reason, I guess I just assumed that once they revealed her to be this horrible, raving traitor, once they you know brought that personality out, um, I guess I thought that they would arrest her or she'd be in the brig or whatever. Instead, she's just in her quarters, packing, you know, doing whatever. I guess she's leaving. I guess they probably kicked her off the station. But right, but, what but would they have arrested her for? I know for being evil. <laughs> <laughs> you are charged with evilness. Um. <laughs> And if she, and she'd have been like, I'm guilty, Your Honor, guilty. But I, I don't know, I because yeah, when you ask that question, I'm like, yeah, I guess they couldn't. But clearly, she had been made persona non grata and was getting her butt off the station, and we know she's leaving. So it just it just seemed weird that she's revealed to be this giant, deadly menace, and then in the next scene, she's just like in her quarters talking to Ivanova, yeah. like. Okay, I guess. <laughs> Maybe there were guards outside that were going to escort her to a shuttle or something. Well, I think the worst that they could have done with her is revoke her license to operate on Babylon 5. Yeah. I mean, cuz she the 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 psychics have to be uh have to be approved by the the commander of, of Babylon 5. Yeah. So I mean, if she'd stayed anyway, well, you know what? Psychor wouldn't have left her there anyway because she wouldn't have had access. The reason that she was there was to have access. Exactly. And once she's screened out, it's like, what can she do? Tell Psychor what's going on in down below. I mean, you know, 
Right. So and think about this, and and Garibaldi even mentioned it towards the end of the episode. They were they were talking at the beginning of the episode of bringing her into the conspiracy. Oh yeah, the conspiracy of light. I mean, she was just days away from mm-hmm. from you know blowing up the whole the whole conspiracy against Clark. Yeah. When you look back at this episode, knowing now what we know, and you see them talking about that, you're like, oh, I should have known it was her, because you know that that scene is very early on, and then you kind of forget it. Right. But if you have it fresh in your mind and you're like, so there's a traitor, then you'll be like, oh, it's the person that's about to get into the inner circle. And that's my right. other – so my two low points. One, emotionally, is I, Talia was my favorite character. I loved her to death, and I've just never forgiven this episode. I understand the, the stuff behind it, and I understand it's what she wanted and all that, and that's fine. But just in terms of the character in the show – it just makes me sad and and and, and angry. Uh, the other though, the low point that bothered me in, a, in an actual low point way was just a little bit. You mentioned earlier how they kept trying to make it look like it was Ivanova, and I felt like there were a couple of points where JMS kind of strained that too far. That he just made it like he might as well had a big neon sign flashing, pointing at her, saying, "It's her. It's Ivanova." Just to <laughs> You know, I mean, play play fair with us is all I ask, and that it just felt like they were going out of their way to make her seem guilty, and so that that bothered me a little bit. But that's just a screenwriting thing. I mean, you know, everybody has a different reactions. So, did you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane award for overacting? I did not. I thought. I thought. I mean, Lita when she was doing the scanning bit, yeah. was a little over the top. But how do you? I mean, how do you emote the fact that you're scanning somebody without? You know, you you have to make some sort of you face. Do. Otherwise, you're just sitting there, and that that's that's not acting. And and counter to that, mine to a little degree was Talia when she starts going bananas. I thought this is. I guess this is her big finish and her big chance to go nuts, and she took advantage of it. How are you out of you and your little dog too? <laughs> she turned into the Wicked Witch, man. And, and I do have another semi-nominee at the beginning where in, when they're in the bathroom, the famous, you know, JMS had always said, we're going to show people in the restroom in this show. And by golly, he did. <laughs> um, the Pac Marat coming out of the bathroom kind of, I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It was <laughs> it was interesting. I'll give it that. I that, almost, it. that almost made my funniest moment. Yeah, that's close. Um, I'm not sure he overacted or not, because I don't know how Pac Mariah acted in the bathroom. And I honestly didn't ever <laughs> want to know. But there we are. All right. So what's your most Babylon 5 scene? Most Babylon 5 scene was there at the very end when Lita was talking with Kosh. And she says, I just need to see you one more time. And then, of course, we only see her reaction. But we, we see the glowing light and we hear something flapping or unfolding which i thought was interesting i missed that the first time around but knowing what i know it makes sense yeah that that was mine too yeah that was was mine too is that it because it's it opens a little crack in the big cosmic corner of the b5 universe which is basically the vorlons and what they are and all that so yeah i i agree with you that was because it called all the way back to the gathering and it um, a lot going on there and 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 again, not to spoil anything, we don't do that. But more information is coming, so <laughs> hang tight. You will get more information. You will not have to wait. You will not have to wait another year or two to get more information on this. All right, just just hang tight, folks. <laughs> right. All right. What what was your man? I can't wait. What was your favorite character moment? 
My favorite character moment was when uh, the the scene when Ivanova finally breaks down uh, and agrees to be scanned. I thought that was really mm. that was really cool because she was so dead set against it, and then she realized the stakes and she she agreed. She said, "Okay, just do it," but she still remained the defiant Ivanova even even mm. when she she agreed to the scan. And oh, she blocked cool. her, and she blocked her unintentionally. Yeah, Lita's like she's yep. blocking me. Fortunately, I thought that was a very that. Go ahead. I thought that was, I thought that was a very effective scene. Yeah, I was going to say I I'm glad that with everything else going on, Lita didn't seem to pause and go, "Wait, how could she block me?" Oh, you know, what I, mean? I mean, I mean, it's like that should have right. been a giveaway that that Susan was was telepathic to a degree. I my favorite character moment also involves Susan, but it was when Talia and Susan were talking, and Talia tells Susan that she's the only person she trusts. And I kept thinking, A, how far these two have come, and B, oh, is this going to take a take a turn in a little while? It's just watching this episode right. once is shocking. Watching it after that is just horrific. You know what I mean? And not not in a yeah. horrific in the sense of you're just dread. It's just dread. You know what's coming, and you can't stop it's- it. It's a very tragic episode for sure, and in, in, in the the purest theatrical meaning of tragic. Yes. Uh, okay. Funniest moment. I got to hear this. Funny. You know, I had two of them, and they both had to do with Garibaldi. <laughs> the first one was when uh, uh, he was being scanned. Oh god. And he broke down and started screaming, and everybody in the room reacted like, "Oh my god, he's a traitor!" And he said, "Gotcha." I mean, that so- was so Garibaldi, and it was so because this was one of the most intense moments. On the station in the station's history, you know, and yes. he cracks a joke while doing it. I, I mean, he's like he didn't get shot. Yeah. Oh, I put my airlock. Right, right. And then the part where I uh, see where he says uh, we could all just sit around and sing kumbaya. Yeah. I, JMS was asked about this, and his reply. This was a note I didn't read, but one of the, was JMS basically said, um, "There's always one person in the crowd whose reaction to stress like this is to be goofy or do a joke or something, and that was Garibaldi." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll allow it," as they say. But I didn't, and I didn't like it. I thought, oh, "Come on, that was again." This is this is JMS flashing a big neon arrow pointing at somebody else, and I'm just like, "Okay, we get it. Let's just get, let's get the answer here. Yeah, You're dragging it out." You know. That is totally me in real life. I would have absolutely have done something like that. I, I've been told that I have the most inappropriate gallows humor possible, and but it it is a stress reaction. That's just how some yeah. people react. I, I well, totally get it. Yeah, yeah, and and out the airlock, Andy would have gone. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been out there like a long time ago. <laughs> ah, ah. You you and uh, Jakar's second assistant <laughs> both have right. a strange airlock accident together. <laughs> Um, my funniest moment was, uh, the performance reviews for Zach and Corwin. (laughs) Zach's just, the the one about Zach was just so perfect because a, it was funny that he walks up. Yes, sir. And and Sheridan looks at him for a minute and is, okay, that'll be all. That was funny. And then also was funny. Zach's like, okay, like it's no, (laughs) he just takes it in stride. He doesn't, he doesn't ask any other questions. He doesn't like one. He's just like, cool. You know? Good, glad. Good, good talk. <laughs> good, good talk. So that was just so Zach. I, I loved it. All right, yeah. we're, we're coming in the home stretch. Who won this episode? I have to say that the the B five command staff, the conspiracy of light, won because they ended up uncovering the uh, the viper in their midst before you know they invited her into their conspiracy. That's fair enough and very true. I guess you could also say Lita. 
because not only does she kind of save the day at the risk of her own life, but also she basically reasserts herself and reinserts herself into the into the show. Absolutely. But, that's that's legit. But my final answer is not me. <laughs> <laughs> because it made me very sad. So there we go. Yeah. That's legit too. I'm, I I I feel bad for you. Now. I'm giving deep. you a little a little sad emoji. Yeah, deep sigh. All right. Everybody's favorite moment where we compare numbers here and oh, we do need to go ahead and get the uh get the patrons to send in their ratings for the upcoming uh shows. I haven't seen anything from them yet. If I do, I'll let you know. Uh maybe I've in fact, let me just check in. I've got it open. No, haven't got anything yet. But if any of you patrons listening want to send in your ratings for um Comes the Inquisitor and the Fall of Night that Andy and I'll be doing in two weeks. Go ahead and send us in your numbers. If you want to explain it a little bit, that's fine. I'll read that too. You know, don't go overboard, but just like a you know sentence or two or whatever. But we definitely would like to see your um, your ratings for those last two so for the season, so we can talk about it next time. All right, what is your rating for uh, divided loyalties? I'm gonna make you go first on this one. What, what is your rating? Oh, our <laughs> pain. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, you know I don't love it, so that's going to hurt it a little bit. I it, yeah. it, I can't make an episode that hurts me the way that some people are hurt by the little boy on the first season, you know, the, the whatever. But right. um, um, I kind of ended somewhere in the middle. It is a good, strong, important episode, so I gave it a 3, 3.0. I also gave it a 3.0. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I... I I was waffling between 2.5 and 3, and the only thing that would have dropped it down to a 2.5 was the 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 handling of the relationship they, between mm. Talia and Nevada. They just didn't build that up well enough, I, and I think it could have been served better if they had developed mm. that relationship a little bit. But then I decided I can't really hold that against this episode because that was not, yeah. you know this episode's fault. That's so I, I, I stuck with a three because there were it, it was a pretty big mm. moment in in the history of B5. And I think it was well written and a very tense episode. No, I agree. And I, you know what? Here's the funny thing: they could have built up Talia and Susan's relationship more if they had used her in this season more than two or three times. So that kind exactly. of feeds right back into our previous criticism. All right. Well, there was uh, divided loyalties. Let me quickly thank our patrons and tell you how you can become one too. Uh, again, you're going to get various benefits over time. One of them now is you get to send in your ratings, and Andy and I will discuss what you rated them at these episodes as well as uh, as well as what we did. Um, we now have a Patreon account just for supporters of this show you're listening to now. So no more great long lists. Unfortunately, we'd like this list to be great long if we can get it. So go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review, one word, .com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron, and you can go straight over. Or I guess if you just went to uh, patreon.com and search for Babylon 5 Re White Rocket, White Rocket Babylon 5 Review. Um, here are our current patrons for just this show. Oh, and dang it, I opened the wrong one. So give me just one second here. I'm totally going to forget to edit this out, so <laughs> I'm going to just go ahead and have the and have the uh, audience listen along. Uh, oh, I got to pay attention. Sorry, I'm going to have the uh, I'm going to have the audience follow along with me here as I boringly type. We need in. something. 
We need something on your soundboard for for instances like this. You know we do, but I don't have anything right now. All right. So here are our current patrons who are keeping things rolling, and you can join their ranks. We have to thank Allison Rich, EJ Alexander. I believe he's the biggest, uh, he and his wife are the biggest Babylon 5 fans in New Zealand. Didn't we discover that? We did. Yes. Uh, Rich Hammett is arms wide, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, and Ice Cream Clone with the Boba Fett face. So you know I'm paying him attention. So we thank you folks from the Gray Council all the way down to Lurker. We're so happy to have you. And if you haven't checked it since the since we just opened it about a month ago, there are now levels all the way down to $3 a month. That's the bottom tier. Used to have a $1 tier on the other one, but Basically, those are being phased out because by the time Patreon takes all their fees and the banks take their fees, you get like a penny. So there's really no point in having a $1 tier anymore. So they're they're gone, uh, for at least from this one. So anyway, we thank you guys so much. EJ did write in and ask a question. He says, I want to start by saying I love the B5 Review Podcast. Uh, I had been looking for one on B5 for a while before I came across yours. I'm really glad I did. You and Andy have really great discussions in every episode I enjoy every week. We're really glad to hear that. Um, he said, I have a question about an episode you and Andy weren't overly fond of, but I did like, which was, and now for a word. That was the reporter comes to the station, the first one. Um, why did Sheridan think that Earth lost the Earthman-Bari War? He was fighting in the war. He blew up the Black Star. He knew about the surrender. So as an Earth Force officer... Uh, he should have considered that a win, surely. Is it because the information Lanier gave him in Ivanova, gave him in Ivanova in episode one about in this season about the reason for the surrender? He says, I've been thinking about this since I first saw the episode, even asking a few other people I know who have watched it what they think, and I still have no real answer, so now I'm asking you. So you and I had a brief conversation, as I did, with him about this, but I just wanted to put out there my thought, and if you want to put your thought too, my thought was simply that Sheridan knew, indeed, I think it did have to do with, with what he talked about. With I would put it this way. Before Delenn told him what she did, I think he was very puzzled by why they surrendered, just like everybody was puzzled about why they surrendered. After she told him what she told him, he realized we were definitely going to lose but some mystical thing that the Minbari believe caused them to stop and quote-unquote surrender but really, they were, you know, we had lost. I think he was talking in material terms rather than philosophical terms is the difference. Now, how would you, what would you add to that or replace that with, Andy? I, I did reply to him, and I, uh, militarily, they, the Earth Force lost. I mean, they lost every single battle except for the one where he, he blew up the Black Star. Mm-hmm. They lost thousands upon thousands of people and dozens, if not hundreds, of ships. So and and they were driven all the way back to their homeworld, and and they were within striking distance of killing everybody on Earth. So he knew the military reality of it was that they had their butts kicked. The Earth Force did. Now the surrender was a political decision. Yeah. So politically, it was a victory for Earth Force. Militarily, it was it was ju- it was a slaughter Disaster. the other way. Yeah. So so he knew. Even before he talked to Lanier and Delenn, he knew that something had something funny happened for them to surrender because he was part of that battle. He knew that their backs were against the wall and nothing they could do, almost nothing they could do to, to stop the, the uh, Minbari advance. 
and I, I agree with you. I'm going to step out of in the in show world for just a second and add this. I think that JMS called it a surrender because that made it more shocking and more dramatic. But I think if it was quote unquote real, what the Centaur, what, what the Minbari would have done is is have a ceasefire and say we've decided not to invade further on humanitarian grounds. So right. we have we haven't surrendered. We didn't lose. You know you were going to lose. But we're just going to stop here and go back to our own space and leave you alone because we've you've suffered enough, or you know we we don't want to just wipe out your entire race anymore. We've we've gotten over our fury. I think that's what they would have come up with as an answer. Saying we surrender didn't just make Earth arrogant when they had no reason to be. It also drove a wedge between the religious caste and the warrior caste that we continue to see reverberating through the rest of the show. And Van, that is because you are a human being and you're coming at this with your human intellect and your human emotions. That is not how Minbari would think about it. They're an alien species and yeah. we don't I mean how how they view things is I mean they they're humanoid and they're human looking and they have some emotions that are, you know, parallel to ours, but the way they process things and the way they think is entirely different. They're they're still yeah. aliens. So fair enough. I there you go. that's I, I think that's that would be why that happened the way it did. Yeah. Okay. That works for me. All right. So we're back back in now. Two twenty. The long twilight struggle. The Narn Centauri War reaches a turning point, which I don't think anybody saw coming this soon. Right. Sher- Sheridan is contacted by a powerful ally who offers assistance, and I really enjoyed drawing this episode. <laughs> Yes, and I don't. I don't think even Jakar saw that coming. No, not at all. And because he got to be told by, um, was it was it his uncle he was talking about at first, or was he talking to a politician before a member? No, of the it was his uncle. It was okay. Justin, or I think Justin. it was Justin. Yeah, his yeah. uncle. Yeah, he said, you know, we're we're telling the, the telling our population that we're winning or holding our own, but really we're in deep trouble. So they were in deep trouble even before the events of this episode. Right. That's why they were willing to do this, the Narn. Right. All right. So this is production 219, uh, aired August 1st in the UK, October 18th in the US, and JMS premiered at Chicago Comic Con on July 1st, 1995. I bet that went over big. Yeah, um, no yeah. Di- uh, written by JMS, directed by John Flynn. I believe he's usually the director of photography rather than the actual director. So that's interesting that he got a, a turn behind the camera. Uh, notable guest stars include John Shuck replacing the previous actor who was unavailable as Drawl. That's why he's supposed to be younger because they picked a different actor. And we got Morgan Shepard back. He had been the Soul Hunter. Now he's just in. So we continue the using uh, different using the same actor for different aliens, which is interesting. Um, and of course, good old William Forward as Rifa and Riff Hutton as the reporter. All right, you got any random factoids for us? Let me see. Random factoids is blank. I have right. no random factoids for this one. I only got a couple of things. Um, this episode has more effects footage than any previous episode, almost five minutes worth, which took a month to produce on the Amiga video toasters. Good <laughs> Lord. Um, uh, mass drivers and dropping rocks as weapons on planets was originally used by E.E. E. Doc Smith in the Lensman books, which are very influential on Babylon 5. They were also used by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell in Footfall, where these 
elephant-looking aliens drop big rocks on Earth until we surrender. Um, and I, I will say that the uh, scientifically speaking, yeah. they they nailed it with the mass drivers and with the, the rail guns because those are rail guns that were shooting those rocks. Yes, um, and they're electrically driven. The the, the electricity. I, I'm not going to get into the science behind the rail guns, but they show the electricity driving those driving those asteroids, driving those rocks along the rails. And I thought that was super cool because that, that, that is hard science fiction right there. Yes, absolutely. Um, if this wasn't the first time we've seen the palace on Centauri Prime, it was one of the first. I think maybe we saw it briefly in The Coming of Shadows when they assassinated the prime minister. But yes. Maybe that was just an interior. I can't remember this. Maybe the first time we saw that exterior with those three tall, like, towers or whatever they are on the outside you know yep that could be yeah um let's see um there's oh this is two episodes in a row that delenn tries to talk to sheridan and he blows her off as he's hurrying somewhere only to get his comeuppance from her so he needs to stop trying to blow her off and say yes delenn <laughs> i know that what you have to tell me is important so i will stop and listen to you because delenn is almost like ivanova always right um <laughs> yeah I really appreciated the shadowy lighting on Londo and Rifa as they argued about the attack on Narn. They used a lot of lighting effects to make it really dark and yep. um, and you know foreboding. That scene um, was amazing for for several reasons, but yeah, yeah. that that in particular. Yes, um, I loved loved. In fact, it may be, uh, if it's not my favorite character moment, it ought to be in the running for it, but there's another one. But I loved when Drawl first saw Delenn in her new form, and he said, you've changed. I like it. Because she needed to hear that. Right. And from a Minbari. Yep, absolutely. And, and somebody that, that's very important to her, too. So that, that was awesome. Um, Andy, how did Delenn hug and touch foreheads with uh, him when he was a hologram? It, I I don't know. <laughs> I was wondering that. It, I was like, it oh, was like, it, it was like the the holograms from from Star Trek, where they you know on the the holo deck, where the, everything can't. feels real. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy it. I, I don't know. Why not? Uh, Londo's cough during his speech near the end is reminiscent of his dream as the emperor when he coughs. Just a little foreshadowing, fore coughing. Yep. And this is the first time I think we hear Army of Light. And uh, Delenn says Babylon 5 must be protected at any cost, which is certainly going in a direction that we will keep an eye on. So that's all of my notes. What was your high point? You know, I the, I had one scene, after watching this, I had one scene for like four of these different categories. So I, I actually, I had to split it up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. My high point was, so keep in mind that all these are, are the, the, the B team for, for these particular categories. Uh, the high point for this uh, episode was the space battles. I thought those were super cool. Uh, no kidding. Something that we haven't seen on sci-fi TV up until this point. I mean, nowadays it's commonplace with like the Expanse and even a while ago with Battlestar Galactica. But up mm. until this point, the, the combat mm. on sci-fi TV was pretty pretty uh, low-key. I mean, it, it was just you know a couple beams, you know, that you see from the view screen point of view. So this was some pretty, uh, some pretty amazing stuff. And like I mentioned earlier, the, the, uh, rail drivers they use or the rail guns they use as mass drivers was very, mm. very well done. So that was a big thing for me. And then, uh, when Sheridan and Delenn staying up to Londo in the, the, mm. uh, council room, I thought that was super cool. Yeah. And that, and that, that's a great segue because the council at the end was my high point. 
I've noted it felt kind of like the Council of Elrond and Lord of the Rings right down to the bickering. I was waiting for Jakar to like grab an axe and try to chop a ring in half or something. <laughs> but uh, but then, yeah, Londo gives that really dark turn. That's about as dark as Londo gets in some ways pretty much in this episode. And then, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then Jakar gives that speech. And, I mean, at this point, you realize how far these two characters have gone because Londo's gone from the drunk, wacky, goofy guy that you and I talked about in season one to now basically remove him from the chamber, you know? And Jakar has gone from shouty Klingon lizard guy to giving just like this stirring, you know, soul stirring oratory. It really does show, I mean, how dramatically things have changed in less than two seasons, less than two seasons. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I will say that Jakar's speech is the one thing that that could have taken up four of my categories. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So low point, I've got one. What is yours? My low point is um, I have two low points. Londo's decision there to uh, use the uh, the shadows when he was having that discussion yeah. with Rifa, and he finally gives in. Yes. It. It. it I mean. It, it was like a, a, an addict or something like that. You could see, like, okay, for one last time, I'll just do this mm-hmm. the last time, and that's it. Yeah. And it just was super tragic. And then his face there at the end when he was actually on board the Centauri cruiser as they were bombarding Narn, and he realized yes. the repercussions of what he did, and he was absolutely horrified with with the situation. Um, and then when Jakar asked for sanctuary from, mm-hmm. from Sheridan, I thought that was very emotionally oh, yeah. uh, devastating as well. No question. Yeah, I, I endorse all of your picks in terms of emotional lows. My low point from just a low point was Centauri martial arts. <laughs> I have nothing more to say. <laughs> Centauri I, doing kung fu is all I needed. I, I got I got flashbacks to Mutai. I was oh, like, the that's Mutai. why they were in there because they, they are some kung fu Masters. warriors. They are. Wow. I just guys in vests with big hair doing martial arts was more than <laughs> right. I more and than if I, I were if I were in the Muay Thai, I would much rather go up against the Narn martial arts than the Centaurian martial arts. Yeah, I think that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Narn martial arts are kinda like Captain Kirk on the old Star Trek. Right. <laughs> this is this is something else entirely. This is more like Roger Moore martial arts in his right. bond, in his later Bond work. Um, okay. Uh, do we, I, I mean, I, again, I kind of, we're in season two. There's not a lot of Oren Zentos or Ari Benzanes in season two. I have to find just like, I have to paint the outside of the plate. What have you got for that? If anything, I, I definitely have one for this and it, it hit me really hard. Lord Rifa's eyebrows. Good yes. Lord. Yes. Those things are crazy. I don't know if they were this bad earlier in the season, but they were like uh, reaching out at least three or four inches from his forehead. I was like, "Good golly, what are his eyebrows doing?" They're out of control. They're they're yeah. ri- they're rivaling Gandalf at this point. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty horrific. I agree with you. I had that you could kind of say John shook his draw, but the thing is, it works. He he played it very broad, you know. Yeah. But, but the character needed that. I felt so it worked. Right. Yeah. All right. Sometimes chewing the scenery is a good thing. We we've established that on here. Sometimes yes. chewing the scenery is a good thing. All right. What was your most Babylon Five scene? And again, the, yeah, Jakar could be in every one of these, but go ahead. right. The most Babylon Five scene was the introduction of the Rangers to Sheridan there at the end uh, uh, when he he anointed them the Army of Light. That was that was hugely Babylon Five scene. Yeah. I mean, that was that was almost the most Babylon Five scene in the whole series. I mean, that was that was a, a great scene. Dang it! You're right. So yours is better than mine. Um, 
Yeah, mine was Londo watching out the window as the as they bombarded the Narn homeworld, which is pretty darn Babylon Five. But uh, but I agree with you that creating the Army of Light and introducing yeah, that's yeah, for sure. So very good. Let's see, we're in the home stretch. Favorite character moment of this big episode. All right, for this one, I have uh, Jakar's exit from the council and his the, mm. the speech he gave there, which is one of the most powerful speeches, not just on Babylon 5, but in all of sci-fi television, I think. I mean, or, or even all of television. I mean, yeah. it was a devastatingly scathing speech that he gave. Mm. Um, and it wasn't even a long speech. It was it was pretty succinct, but the, the power behind his words were amazing. And then the uh, later on when... when um, He's talking with Sheridan, and Sheridan offers him his help and, and shakes his hand. And the look on Jakar's face was, was a look of hope for somebody who had been so mm-hmm. devastated for you know for the past several days in this episode. So I thought those were both really great Jakar moments, so two of the, his best moments in the entire series. And that line, the last time I offered someone my hand, 24 hours later, we were at war. Yep. Whew. But then he does. Yep. He does it anyway. And, so yeah, that, and and him calling out, you know, g- calling out that previous scene from earlier in the season mm-hmm. made that scene so much more tragic because of what has happened since then and what could have, you know, what could have been. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, mine was Jakar and his uncle Justin before um, Justin departed for the attack, and it was especially frustrating because later on. Well, I mean, it was a touching scene, and I really liked the the way that uh, Shepard played that. But then later on, of course, uh, Jakar finds out that it's a trap, basically, and tries to warn him. And he's like, it's too late now. You just got to have to go for it. And you're just like, oh, that's not going to go well. And yeah. man, those, the, the shadow ships coming in and just slicing and dicing those, those Narn ships, that is an iconic moment in this show. Yep, absolutely. Whew. And the, the way that they, you know, they shot out the pods that Jen broke mm-hmm. apart to multiple shadow fighters and mm-hmm. when the two shadows joined up before i mean we saw a whole lot more of the, the shadow ships and what they're capable of this episode i, I thought that was super cool well let look at it for, for a second then because this is kind of significant we see they didn't just use their purple slicer and dicer beam which would have been boring i think at the like the fifth time they used right. the little pod that sent out the little fighters and they also had those energy weapons that detonated inside the jump points and made them collapse and blew up two of the ships yeah that was huge that that's a tech a level of technology that we have not even known was was possible and and we saw that two of the narn heavy cruisers together firing their beams could w- barely wound a shadow ship and i thought that was hugely important that yeah. that was that was a, a, a neat part of that scene is like oh wait a minute they're not you know completely, completely impervious or, yeah. or all all dominating mm-hmm. in, in battle they can be her which will you know hopefully come into play later agreed agreed all right funniest moment uh the funniest moment for me i have uh abso-freaking-lutely damn it <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was because it was just one episode before where uh where yeah. um he said that to her and she looked at him like what <laughs> so I thought that was uh, that was pretty funny because his reaction was priceless. Yeah, we had to. Yeah, and then motor butt. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I like the sound of that. Yeah. Um, mine that was, was Drawl saying Zathras never around when you need him because <laughs> that's that's. I don't think we saw Zathras in this episode, did we? So that was like a no, big. And- 
that was a big moment to find out he's even there. Right. That that was a, a, a neat way to drop that, that information on us. Yeah. It was, it was a, a funny and, and impactful at the same to time. The, to this point, we've only seen him on Babylon 4, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, I think I think at the end of that episode, we saw him walking around the machinery on... What, am I thinking wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe we'll not. See. All right. Who won this episode? I have Sheridan and the Army of Light because Sheridan finally... Uh, First, he stood up to um, uh, Londo in the the uh, council chamber. I thought that, and Londo got mad, mm-hmm. and I thought that was neat that he stood up to him, and then he made a really uh, strong ally with Citizen Jakar now. Citizen Jakar, and he was introduced to the the Army of Light, and and you know, declared his his intent to take the battle to the bad guys, which is is a huge. Like I said, the the past three or four episodes has have been the midpoint of the novel. You know where where mm-hmm. the good guys finally decide to take it to the bad guys, and this this puts yeah. the the very fine point on on that midpoint. It having watched Gandhi a million times in my in my religion classes, this really did feel like Jakar is going from the Klingon to space Gandhi. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's not there yet, but it's you could right. feel this is like him getting thrown off the train in South Africa, and being like, "I've got to change my approach here." You know, there's right. like a it, fundamental shift, and that that character transformation is one of the most uh, astounding character yes. arcs in all of sci-fi TV, easily. No question, no question about it. All right, do you want you want to do your rating then? You want me to go first again? <laughs> no, I I threw you under the bus the first time, so I will gladly take <laughs> right. point this time. I gave it a four point five. I thought it was a very solid episode, one of the best episodes in the series. Not quite a five point oh, yeah, uh, because they're I, I've only reserved this for a couple, but uh, easily a four point five for me. I you know. I actually typed 4.0 or 4.5 question mark and left <laughs> it for left it to a game time decision. All right. And you have convinced me I'll go 4.5. All right. There you go. <laughs> and honestly, if there was a 4.25, I probably would go there, but we're not doing that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we will not go to the point two fives. I, I'm, I don't want us to have like six decimal places before this series is right. over. <laughs> All right. Well, that was good, man. Those were two big banger episodes, and we got two even bigger banger episodes coming up next time. So that's going to be fun. Okay. We're going to cover uh, two twenty one. Comes the Inquisitor. Oh, I love that. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. Yep. And then two twenty two. The Fall of Night. And I just got to say, when an episode is called The Fall of Night, you can imagine consequential things are going to happen, right? <laughs> right. And going from his- the history of the series, the season finales are bangers. Yes. Sure. Yes, 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 yes. And um, that means that we're just four weeks away from getting into season three. I can't believe how far we've come. No kidding. It's amazing. Yeah, so. we're halfway done. Well, I mean, if you count the main story arc being the first four seasons, we're halfway done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm going to quickly push this here button right here. Jump gate activated. Which is warning you that we have jumped into spoiler space. But I don't have a whole lot. Um, I don't. The only thing I really have, there's a couple, this might actually not even be a spoiler thing, but it was, <clears throat> it was noted that Talia's implanted personality was foreshadowed in the quality of Mercy uh, after she scanned Muller, the murderer guy, uh, she talked yep. to Garibaldi in the garden, 
And she said, things that live inside us, Mr. Garibaldi, terrible things, terrible. Well, yeah, there was a terrible thing living inside her for sure. I and, forgot uh, about that. Yeah, yeah, well, I had two. And um, um, yeah, JMS said, in the B5 universe, as a general rule of thumb, people don't just come back after something like this. Quote, unquote, Talia has been destroyed permanently. That's what it said in the episode, and that's the way it will stay. Uh Garibaldi said he had an idea and would investigate, and that was that crystal that you mentioned that Kosh recorded with the vicar, and he would get back yeah. to Sheridan. As far as I know, he never did. Right. So we never – I saved that as for the spoiler space because we know that it never comes up again, sadly. Yeah. So uh, you, my, only, yeah. my only thing was they were setting up Drawl as a huge – a uh, player in the battle to come as mm-hmm. you know they're setting him up as a as a big um ally and he's going to you know take part in and everything like that and then he kind of never does yeah i mean i think since we're in the spoiler space i think he you they use his holographic ability right at one point right yeah i think maybe during the uh separate severed dreams but other than that and I, and I think at one and point I, Susan uses him to kind of look for evidence about Clark. Right. And and I think JMS addressed the issue by saying I didn't want the I didn't want a a, a Deus Ex Machina. I didn't yeah. want, you know, somebody I mean literally to use the the, mm-hmm. the dude in, the alien in the machine to to pull out, you know, the victory. <laughs> he wanted this to be the the Earthers uh, uh and their allies to do it. Shall we say a Deus Ex Great Machina? <laughs> Right, <laughs> the great machine. Well, I get yeah. that, but the thing is, the, to me, and I understand that, but to me, it would only have qualified as a Deus Ex Machina if we hadn't seen him before. But we have. Right, they, they laid <laughs> exactly. the foundations. It's the the the, the Machina is right there. <laughs> There's no ghost. Right. It's right there. <laughs> so I I feel like it was probably in real life more a consequence of they kept losing the actor. They couldn't get the old guy. Then they got in a new guy. Then they couldn't probably get him. And they're just like, forget it. You know, we'll just. Yeah. So then yeah. they brought Zathras back and we get a bunch of Zathras running around down there instead. So <sighs> either way is bad for Zathras. All right. Um, <laughs> I think we'll wrap up there. I have a basketball game to go watch. I appreciate you, Andy, for those listening. No, Andy was very flexible. This episode was recorded much later than usual in the week, but much earlier in the day. So I appreciate you being able to work with me on this because it was kind of a kind of a crazy week here. So thank you. It was a crazy week. You're you're very welcome. I'm always open to uh, shuffling bits around. You, you, Lord knows, you've done enough for me in that regard. So <laughs> well, we're as long as the folks enjoy the show, and I know you and I have a great time so yeah all right we're gonna get on out of here and we will see you guys in a couple of weeks when we talk about comes the inquisitor and wayne alexander oh so good and the fall of night uh see you later andy all right take care man this has been a white rocket entertainment production